This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese. Round one of the 2021 NFL Draft is in the books, and I'm here to recap it, and I'm really excited to be joined once again by Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome back to the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. I know you were on a little while ago. It's so great to have you here with me tonight. Paul, this is awesome because last time I was here, we were just into college football season. We were excited that it we actually had a college football season um, and here we are watching all of these guys get picked in the NFL draft. And so much has happened between now and then, just based on where these prospects have gone. We talked about my excitement of Zach Wilson and all of a sudden who's who's leading up the the top of the draft. So I'm I'm super excited. Let's get into it. Yeah, and it's crazy that when we had that Zach Wilson conversation, I don't think any of us envisioned that we'd be talking about him tonight as early as he ended up going. So it's in a wild year from there was not going to be college football to there was. I'm glad you're here with me tonight to kind of make sense of this first round. So let's get right into it. Obviously, the first pick in the draft, no surprise. We've been talking about him forever. Jaguar select quarterback Trevor Lawrence. To me, the ideal size and frame, the arm talent, great to elite. Mobility, pocket movement, rushing ability, ability to play off structure, throwing the run. The accuracy is great. The touch, the anticipation. I mean, he's the best quarterback prospect since I've been doing this that Saturday to Sunday. Only concern for me is him handling pressure. I want to see more consistency. He just didn't wasn't asked to do it. And the ability to overcome some adversity. Is there anything about Lawrence's game that if, if he does stumble, right? Because we could talk, we can wax poetically for quite some time. Is there anything about Lawrence that gives you a tiny bit pause for concern? Or on the flip side, are you just so excited for the match with him and what we know about the Urban Meyer scheme, you know, that we saw so many years in college football? So Trevor Lawrence is still a rookie. We can't expect a rookie to come in here and play at an all pro level. That That's the number one thing. And um, the, the only, the only concern I'd really have with Lawrence, I, I mean, I don't think he's a perfect prospect, but he's as best as we've seen. So for me, um, the real hang up there is when you get talent and, and maybe it doesn't pan out sometimes it's, it's due to the environment and we can't say Jacksonville's been a model environment for, uh, you know, for prospects coming in lately, their ownership is not what I would put as a, a stellar track record. Um, but you, you feel the waves of a culture change. And, and so we'll have to see where that goes. Um, I mean, my wife's a Jacksonville native, so we're really excited. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's, there's very little not to be excited about with Trevor Lawrence, with Urban Meyer, with them coming together in the same off season. They got a little, uh, they got another offensive toy to play with later in the, the, the first round. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but you know, the excitement level should be high for all Jaguars fans. And I'm excited to see him and how quickly, you know, he potentially reaches that ceiling. Like you said, we got to be a little bit reserved and not, you know, expect too much too soon, especially playing for what was the worst team in football last year. And number two, the Jets selected Zach Wilson, the guy that you, we had a long conversation with earlier in the year. To me, I still look at him as average size and frame, good to very good arm talent, not that elite level on a Mahomes level, but good accuracy to all three levels. I love the ability to throw off platform and, and from different arm angles. 
playoff structure. He wouldn't have been my pick at two, but he does remind me of Tony Romo. I think he warrants a top 10 pick. Not sure he, you know, maybe all the way up at two, but Tom Palacero of NFL Network had a great piece or a great segment today on NFL Network that said the Jets' comfort level in, with him was very much with the fact that the scheme that the uh, the Jets want to run, which was formerly you know the same scheme that the 49ers run, Zach Wilson knows how to make those throws. There was a lot of film on tape of him making those throws. So I think that's why maybe the Jets were most comfortable with him because they think he might translate best for what they want to run. Not sure a team should be drafting a quarterback solely for that reason, but maybe that was where their comfort level was with him and why, you know, he was the guy there over the other top quarterback prospects. Any thoughts? I know you shared a lot with Wilson when you came on earlier in the year, but anything about the fit there with the Jets or that has you excited or concerned? Well, you see it up and down all the draft board round one, and you'll see it the rest of the draft that teams teams tend to think about how these players will fit into their rosters. Right? And so fit is probably one of their main concerns with Zach Wilson. Now, I mean, when when the Jets lost the number one overall pick, we always thought, well, you know, Justin Fields is going to be a really good consolation prize. And then the whole off season happens, you, you know, you get the staff in from San Francisco with Robert Sala and um, LaFleur coming in, you know, theoretically bringing the Shanahan system. And I mean, you and I and, and Matt have had a, a lot of conversations around Zach Wilson. And I came to you guys with, you know, just all this excitement. Cause, cause I see this guy with, um, an ability to fit this um, this new wave of scheme that that seems to be really successful in the NFL, but that's not for the number two overall pick, right? Like you know, these schemes help these players, right, make the most of their talents. But you know, Zach Wilson is not in the stratosphere of Justin Fields, and you know, I came to you excited about him, but the more I dug in over over the off season, and I got a chance to watch all of the tape um, twice, all his 2020 games twice through. And I came back with some concerns, right? Um, you know, the the game with, with as much as we idolize Mahomes and Josh Allen making plays, because that's what sticks in our head on Sundays, right? Is, is these guys making plays off script out of the pocket. And that is, you know, fundamentally, I think on a very important um, facet that you need now in the game to get to the next level, but you still have to at least get the base, the basics done, right? Like, so you still have to be able to play in the pocket extraordinarily well. And there's just, I think there's some concerns there with, you know, an amazing offensive line in front of him, just how he handled pressure. I was a little bit less impressed with his accuracy. Um, I, I just, I think he was getting the ball to his receivers, but I don't think he was getting them, getting the ball exactly where, you know, you'd want it perfectly delivered, right? You know, whether that's, you know, right off the body in the back hip or only where his receiver can get it and the defender can't make a play. There were some issues there. And so I'm a little bit concerned because I don't think the Jets have the same environment that that San Francisco would have. They're 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 going on that track, but they don't have the personnel to support them quite as much. And, and so I think there's some worries there for me. 
Yeah, and listen, I thought he had ideal setup there at BYU. He had a really good offensive line, and I think sometimes he had some poor decision-making. You know, I know when Matt Waldman was on here recently, he talked about, you know, calling him hospital balls, where he sometimes put his receivers in really tough predicaments. You know, so I, I think there, there's there's a lot to be excited about, but if I was a Jets fan, I'd be a little bit like, okay, I'm I'm hoping this is right. I'm hoping they got it right. You know, but then now it's going to be constant comparing to what Trey Lance does in San Francisco, you know, what Justin Fields does, you know, with the Bears, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, I like him. I don't love him. I didn't think he should be number two, but, but the Jets, you know, honed in on him and he was their guy. So, which brought us to pick number three, which is, me and you have probably talked, you know, besides me talking to my wife over the last week or so, I don't know if I've had any more conversations with anybody else but you about this pick. And sanity prevails, not Justin Field's sanity, but sanity prevails. And it's Trey Lance at North Dakota State, the size and frame, you like to see it, great athleticism, rushing ability, mobility. You know, very good arm talent in terms of velocity and strength. I love the accuracy. The decision-making speaks for itself with his touchdown-to-interception ratio. Obviously, we didn't see him a lot, you know, this year, only that one game. But to me, he's the type of home run swing that you make that big move up that we talk so much about. He's the guy. It's the best scheme-to-quarterback fit in the first round. He's the guy with the really high ceiling that when – Kyle Shanahan gets to a Super Bowl but loses with Jimmy Garoppolo to Patrick Mahomes when he sees Kyler Murray, you know, and Russ Wilson in that division. He wanted someone that can be a game breaker and a playmaker from the quarterback position. I think they may have found him in Trey Lance. Some thoughts on Lance now quarterbacking your favorite team. I think you really honed in on 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 the important pieces there, especially about who you take at three and why you take a guy like Trey Lance over all of the rumors about Mac Jones. I I think all those rumors were media driven. San Francisco doesn't really come out as a source of those, maybe someone in the scouting department with gut feelings, but, but nothing from the source there. Right. And so I think all of that was just a roller coaster (laughs) that, that as 49ers fans had to go through just, just to see um, who we got through to today. And I was, I rooted for Justin Fields as a pick for one reason, um, and that was mostly that I actually saw him go through full field reads, going across the field, like all the way left, all the way right, um, and just the the immaculate deep ball placement. But when I look at Justin Fields' strengths, um, they're not they're not lined up to really be accentuated in the the type of scheme that Kyle Shanahan runs. And so you said it perfectly. I think the best, um, the best scheme fit offensive fit to, you know, first round draft pick, you know, I think Trey Lance to San Francisco really is, is high up there. And, um, and, and while I don't think Trey Lance had, he, San Francisco picked him because they thought he was one of the sharpest and most intelligent, um, quarterbacks that they interviewed and um that's that's what i hear and and you you see that type of decision making on tape and you see how he learns um but he's 20 and he's got one solid season and a long way to go and i think this is the perfect spot for him where he's not going to be pushed in i think you know everybody thought 
49ers were just, were going to end up trading Jimmy Garoppolo. I think it's pretty confident now that they won't. Um, they'll try to go for a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. They'll still let Trey Lance grow. And whether that's a, hopefully it's a Kansas City, Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes style situation. I don't think anybody could ever expect that. But as 49ers fans, we have something to root for now. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the next question that I think really becomes fascinating to follow, you know, and and maybe we get our answer as soon as draft weekend concludes, right? If they are going to move Jimmy Garoppolo, and then I don't know what exactly they they'd maybe find a veteran that's out there or whatever. But if they were to move on, it would I would think the best time for them to do would be during draft weekend to a team, you know, that maybe needs someone. But I'm not sure I, I I'm not sure I see out there who would want him right now as their starting quarterback. Right? You look around the landscape of the league, you know, and the Patriots, you know, are probably going to go to bat now, obviously with Mac Jones or Cam Newton at, to start, and then Mac Jones. So you look around the league, and I'm not really sure there's another team that's looking to trade for a starting quarterback right now. I mean, maybe the Broncos, but I mean, they just traded for Bridgewater. So I, I wouldn't see them wanting another guy in the mix. So I think that means that he's probably there to start the year. Does, does he hold on to the starting job? I would assume in the beginning of the year he does, but then how quickly is that transition? I think that's the next fascinating question we watch from the fantasy landscape. I think you can make the case that Trey Lance might be now the most fascinating of the quarterback prospects. And I don't really fault anybody if, if somebody says they want to have Trey Lance as the number one, you know, dynasty, you know, rated rookie quarterback ahead of you know, Trey Land, I mean, ahead of uh, Trevor Lawrence or even Justin Fields. Like, I don't think it's crazy. I truly don't based on what we just talked about in that schematic fit. So it's going to be fascinating to really see how that unfolds. I know uh, he was a guy that would was going to make you excited as a 49ers fan. So I am glad that one of us got the guy we were really targeting in the, in the pre-draft process. But I am not as disappointed as some Giants fans out there. I actually think they saved the night and we'll get more into that in a little bit. So I want to individually talk about those three quarterbacks because it was just such a fascinating way to start the draft. So now we'll rattle off groups of picks, and then, Jeff, you can kind of hone in on anything you want to talk about, any of the players, quick thought on each one, a little bit more of a deeper thought on one or two of them, whatever you prefer. At 40, the Falcons, uh, no surprise if they weren't going quarterback, it was always going to be tight end Kyle Pitts, the size, the frame, you know, elite athleticism, movement skills, ball skills, the length, the catch radius. He's the best tight end prospect I've ever seen, period. Not just at Saturday, Sunday, but as a fan of football. You know, I think you're talking about a guy who should be in consideration to be the 1.01 in, in rookie drafts if you, if you want to take it to fantasy. But he is a total package. I think the Falcons are now would be foolish to trade Julio Jones. They should be all in now with Kyle Pitts and what he can bring to that. At, at five, the Bengals, but a little bit of a surprise. Don't go to try to upgrade the offensive line around Joe Burrow and add another playmaker, Joe Burrow's former wide receiver running mate at LSU, and that is Jamar Chase. Listen, he's a more athletic, faster version of DeAndre Hopkins. The athleticism is very good to great. The speed, the burst, the body control, the route running, the releases, the separation quickness. I feel like he's been a little out of sight, out of mind, and people have forgotten just how great Jamar Chase is. He joins now T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd to make up a fantastic trio of receivers there uh, to give Joe Burrow there. If they can straighten out that old line, I think you're going to see the Bengals offense start to soar. Miami Dolphins break my heart and many Giants hearts at pick six and do not go to the offensive linemen and take 
run, uh, wide receiver Jalen Waddle, Alabama. He is the closest to Tyreek Hill we have seen since Tyreek Hill has been in the league dominating. Great to elite athleticism, change of direction, cutting ability, elite playmaker in space and as a returner, the body control, the ability to adjust, wins at all three levels. And then at pick seven, the Lions just stay pat. They were talking trade, but they end up taking Panay Sewell out of Oregon. Great size, good frame, great athleticism and movement skills, quick feet, agility, lateral quickness. He's a really athletic. He reminds me a little bit of Lane Johnson, and I still think he's got some refinement to do. But I think this guy is a guy that who could be a franchise left tackle for a long time. So, Jeff, any thoughts there on Pitts to Chase, Waddle, Sewell, anything there really stand out? Uh, dynamic athletes in really good landing spots. Um, I think what gets lost for Cincinnati is, is they've got Jonah Williams coming back. I think that was their first round pick last year. I think people forget that. Um, certainly offensive line would be important for them to upgrade. And so let's see what they do later in the draft. Um, this was a, here you go, Joe, this is, you want, you want your buddy. Let's, let's see what they could do. And, you know, I think we could argue Pitts is one of the best tight end prospects we've seen in a really long time. You know, I know that Chase, for some, is one of the best wide receiver prospects we've seen in a really long time. You know, you you hear about the since Julio Jones. I, I don't think that's where we're quite at that level with with these wide receivers the same way we are with Pitts, which is uh, why I really like what Atlanta did there. And then Waddle let me let me jump those- in one second there, Jeff. Would you have if you were Atlanta or if you were a fan of the Falcons? Either way, you want to answer this. Do you think it was the right pick, though? Because as much as I love Kyle Pitts. I have a hard time thinking now, again, maybe again, the the mystery of why teams were down on Justin Fields. We may never know, you know, I know you were a Fields fan. So if you were in Atlanta shoes and Ryan still got some good ball left, I've comped this to the giant situation a few years ago with Saquon Barkley, a position that is not often taking that high in the draft an aging quarterback, a new regime, new coach and GM giants went with Saquon to me, the difference was Ryan's got more game left than Eli had hasn't hasn't regressed as much, but I still think they're going to be too good of a team to be back in this situation again. So would you have went the the quarterback route there and left the athletic freak or phenom or unicorn, whatever you want to call them, in terms of pets? I I don't think there's a wrong answer. Um, <laughs> I, so part of it I think is where you just get into the team. Um, sounds like the owner really loves Matt Ryan, right? They're they're already married to him. Um, financially for the next two years. Um, I, I think maybe you can get acrobatic and, and get out after this year, but, um, and, and you have really, I mean, we call him a unicorn and, and he really is. So it's, it's really hard to, to fault them for the pick that they made. I really like Justin Fields. I think he could have been really good in Atlanta as well. I, I am a proponent for letting quarterbacks you know, get their feet wet without diving in the deep end. I, sometimes that works, but I, I I look a lot at the track record of of guys that had kind of sat more than not the first year, and and it tends to look really good, you know, in the long run. Yeah. So Justin Fields could have been a great spot there. Um, Kyle Pitts is a great pick there too. Yeah, I'm, listen, I'm not sure how teams are going to cover Julio Jones if they don't trade him, and I think it would be foolish to. Julio, Calvin Ridley, and Kyle Pitts. Like, I mean, it doesn't really get more – it doesn't really get better than that. So that's why, like, you know, when people are like, oh, th- this is not a need, and when we talk about the Giants, you know, that's what you saw on 
leading up to the draft a little bit, and even tonight is wide receivers not that big of a need. Play, you know, yeah. Playmakers and 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 wide receivers, they're a need for every team. I mean, Cincinnati just took Chase to pair Witt, Higgins, and Boyd. They were fine at wide receiver. The Giants were fine at wide receiver. It doesn't mean that they don't want to be more explosive. Atlanta had two top 10 receivers and they still went out and added Kyle Pitts. So let's be honest, is basically a wide receiver, you know, just with a tight end label. So you never get to have enough playmakers. You want to be explosive. And, you know, listen, I would have taken Justin Fields if I was in Atlanta, but they made the right pick. If it wasn't going to be the quarterback, if they had decided that they were going to run it back a few more years, Matt Ryan, this was the right pick. And any quick thoughts on Waller Sewell before I run off the next couple of guys? I think Waddle's been one of my most exciting players. I just really want to see I, I want to see it's kind of like not exactly like DK Metcalf but you know that excitement coming out just you're, you're this guy's different right he's just different on the football field and Waddle's kind of like playing YouTube at 1.25 speed except the defenders are faster too and you're this guy's just electric um and then I think pairing him with Tua so uh I think he's got a lot of upside. I think he can be really special. Um, So I'm really excited about that. And Sewell will fit the long rebuild for Detroit. I think it's going to help immediately with just the ground pound kind of conservative run game that kind of the young rebuilding teams tend to start with and gravitate to. And so I think that's going to be a good pick in the long run for them. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. I think the stool pick became a no-brainer once once the, the first six picks played out as it was. If we take this to, I'm going to rattle off 8 through 11 here. The Panthers and the Broncos, two teams that were rumored to be in trade talks, also two teams that were rumored to be in the scouting market for quarterbacks, they decide to both stay there and both of them go to the secondary. And this had a trickle-down effect that went right through pick 11 where the Giants were supposed to be picking. So the Panthers select cornerback J.C. Horn, good to very good size and frame, good to very good athleticism, movement skills, speed, very good length, great man coverage skills, good play strength, physicality. I love the inks, the instincts. Scheme versatile, can play inside or outside, immediate starter. And then the Broncos stay pat. Most people, I think, thought it was going to be the offensive lineman Slater. They instead take the Alabama cornerback, Patrick Sertan. Great size and frame, good to very good athleticism. I love the length, very good instincts, play recognition. He's got he's good play in good in run support due to his play strength. Very good to great cover skills. To me, he's an ideal press man cover immediate starter. And by going cornerback, cornerback, what that led to was the Dallas wanting to get out because Dallas was honed in on one of those cornerbacks. I think that was probably besides Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson going one, two, the the worst kept secret was that Dallas was going cornerback at 10 and it was either going to be Sertan or Horn. They loved both of them. But when they went eight, nine, the Eagles got on the phone with the Cowboys knowing that the Giants were honed in on Devonta Smith and they leapfrog, make a division, rare you see teams in division making trades. The Eagles come from 12 to 10. So they went from 6 to 12, got that extra first round pick. And then all they have to do is go from 12 to 10. Didn't cost them a lot. They leapfrog the Giants. They take Devonta Smith. You know, I'm not concerned about the frame. To me, his athleticism, his burst, his acceleration, his in and out of 
uh, breaks, his separation quickness, his route running, his body control, his ability to adjust. I love Devonta Smith. You know, to me, he is very much like a Marvin Harrison type clone. So I, I applaud the Eagles for going up, you know, now giving Jalen Hurts Devonta Smith, who he has a connection with at their time in Alabama, you know, see if they can get something out of Jalen Rager this year, who I still am a believer in. But brilliant move by the Eagles there. I know they wanted a cornerback themselves if they stayed at 12 and 1 fell. But they instead make the move up for the wide receiver, knowing full well they had to get ahead of the Giants. Uh, so then at 11, the Giants, first time in Dave Gettleman's career, trades down. And this is going to be one of those things, right, that I think the Giants pivoted well, right? I wanted Devonta Smith. I was really you know, annoyed when, when the Eagles t- traded up and took Devonta Smith. But the Giants had a backup plan, and now is to to make a trade, right? When they sort of board playing out and sort that Justin Fields is going to be there, they must have started calling around saying, "If you want to come up, what's the offer?" So they don't get Devonta Smith, but they pivoted. And now the great question to me is, and I'm interested to hear your take is, would they have traded out even if Devonta was there? Like, were were they so in love with Devonta Smith that they would have turned down that package from the Bears? I think that's a question now that'll always be an unknown for Giants fans, but the Bears move up. They take Justin Fields. I don't have to get into my love of Justin Fields. We've talked about him. I thought he should have been the second pick in the draft. To me, he's much closer to Trevor Lawrence and the other quarterbacks were to him in terms of what I, you know, in terms of my grade on them, as much as I love Trey Lance as well, Fields ahead on on a slightly tier above him. So I applaud the Bears, you know, for making the bold move up. They needed to finally at a true difference maker at the quarterback. I think that could be Justin Fields. They paid a decent premium, especially including that, you know, the move up nine picks cost them a five this year, a four next year and a, and a one next year. So, you know, if they're a bad team next year, they could be giving away a top 10 pick to the Giants. So I think it was a, a win-win for both teams. I love Justin Fields. So if I thought the Giants were ever going to consider him, he would have been the guy I wanted. And a few years from now, if he's as good as Deshaun Watson or, you know, or Patrick Mahomes or someone on that, you know, landscape, teams came up, right? They traded up for them. The Giants are going to look like that team. They're like, oh, if Daniel Jones is no longer there and the Giants are struggling to find a quarterback, there's always going to be a small part of people's minds that say, well, they gave up the pick that became Justin Fields. So it's hard to think like that because I know they weren't really in the quarterback market this year. They wanted to give Daniel Jones a, a real opportunity unless they could get a chance at Trevor Lawrence. So that's kind of how that unfolded. Any thoughts if you want to share anything on the two cornerbacks? But definitely I, I want to hear your thoughts on the Eagles moving up for Devonta Smith. If you have any concerns about the frame and then Justin Fields and what you think about maybe the Bears' aggressive move up and, and him there. I find first round quarter cornerbacks really interesting because sometimes um, I, I think it's a learning curve in the, in the NFL. Um, you know, I think uh, who did we see Okuda last year really struggle. So, um, but these guys, you know, profile to be able to be left out on an Island if they're stressed um, on a defensive scheme. So I think that's why you take them here. And I wonder if, you know, this was a mistake on Dallas's part about scouting um, to see if those guys would be there or not for them. Um, cause they were really, they, they really did seem honed in on, on one of these two guys and they missed out on both of them. And so I'm sure that there were a lot of trade down rumors. I'm sure they could have gone up to get one of them and, and they missed out on both, which you said, like you said, had this very phenomenal cascading. Um, and I, and I saw, I saw that Eagles trade up and I knew exactly it was, 
you didn't even have to wait for the pick to come in. Devontae Smith. I have, I don't have concerns about his frame. Um, first of all, his size is good. His, his wingspan, his, his length, his arms, they're great. You know, you only talk about his weight and, and really you only talk about his weight cause he's lanky. So it's a BMI thing. So you look at him and you look at how he plays. He doesn't have problems with press. Um, he fights through contact in his stems. He's very hard to, to slow down. Like you only worry about that stuff if it's affecting them on the field. And it didn't at Alabama against top competition. So, you know, I, I think Devontae Smith is, is electric. I mean, it's a Heisman winning wide receiver. I just, that that's a pretty phenomenal pick there um, to give, to give Jalen Hurts some support. So really a big fan of that pick. Definitely at the heartbreak for you guys, you Giants fans. Um, like, like you said, you think they salvaged it. I'm really excited to get into that. Um, it set up this, Massive trade for Justin Fields. I think, you know, Chicago really pulled off um, the best move in the draft. Um, I, that one really stands out to me. I, they have had a quarterback wasteland for their almost the entire history of their franchise. Right? I mean, you go you go all the way back, and it's not that they have bad quarterback play, but they haven't had somebody so electric. Right? Um, nobody really stands like Jay Cutler is kind of like the the, the top of their mountain. <laughs> and so for Justin Fields, um, I think, you know, he can make a mark there and, and probably save Matt Nagy's career, right? Like this is a career saving move for Matt Nagy and, and pace. Right. So um, I think a price of next year's one is a well worthwhile price to pay um, to pick up who I think is, is probably the number two player in the draft. Um, at pick 11. Yeah, I, I applaud the aggression and, and the move up because I really do think, you know, and listen, they paid the price that you pay. Like for a quarterback, you pay that price because someone was saying, yeah, the Giants got really good value, right? If you look at the, the, the trade a couple years ago when Pittsburgh came up for Devin Bush, it was the exact same thing, basically 20 to 10 or 20 to 11. It was almost the exact same range. And they, they moved back and got a two and a three only. Well, the Giants got a five and a one and a four, and that one alone supersedes a two and a three, right? And then you kick in the four and the five, but that's the price of doing business for a quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. If, 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 if there was no quarterback there and they were coming up just for, let's say, an offensive lineman or somebody like that, it wouldn't have cost a one, a four and a five just to move back nine spots. But we know that, that, you know, the Giants were, were going to be, you know, hold them a little bit hostage for that, for the quarterback, right? You pay a quarterback tax. So uh, it was, it was nice to see the Giants not scramble, just make a pick. Cause that, I feel like that's been a little bit of the Giants MO sometimes where they just stay, they make a pick, they don't think about it. You know, there were a lot of people that thought they were going to, you know, pivot over to, you know, quitty pay. And I, that would have really bothered me as a Giants fan. I applaud them for, for being able to pivot to the, the trade. And like I said, now it opens the question of, you know, would they have thought about the trade even if Devonta was there? And we might never know that answer. And uh, no, they I, have, have. <laughs> I, I have a, I have, I have a theory that I want to get into when we get to the Giants pick, though, about a question that I've had for months leading into the draft about which Alabama receiver the Giants preferred. And I feel like they may have given us a clue with their pick later in the draft of who they may have wanted. But we'll get there. So yeah. 
if we if we keep this going, uh, Cowboys at twelve take Mika Parsons, obviously phenomenal player and athlete. Some off the field things kind of caused him to drop, but we're talking three down linebacker can play to run, can blitz, good play strength, probably can be used a little bit as an edge rusher, sideline to sideline, elite level athleticism for a man his size. Thirteen, the Chargers very much get what they need, which is a lineman to protect. Justin Herbert, Rashawn Slater. Some people think he's like a Zach Martin, could be an elite guard or a very good tackle. His footwork, uh, his strength, power, toughness, he's the total package. At 14, the Jets make a nice move. They trade up. They're finally doing what they didn't do for Sam Darnold, which was starting to build a foundation to protect their new quarterback, right? Last year, they got Mekhi Becton. This year, they trade up and they take Elijah Vera Tucker, one of the safer prospects, but a guy who many think can be an all-pro guard, uh, physical, tough, great play strength, good length. He can maybe even play tackle. I don't, it'd be interesting to see what the Jets do with him. He's another one of those guys that might be a good tackle, but might be a great guard. So it's one of those questions of how you set that up. At 15, then, the Patriots stay put, and they go Mac Jones. So sanity prevails. I always thought 15 should have been the earliest Mac Jones was even being considered, provided the other four quarterbacks were gone. That's exactly what played out. To me, he's on the Andy Dalton to Jimmy Garoppolo to Kirk Cousins spectrum. I think he'd be a functional starter, but the lack of athleticism and mobility and playmaking ability, to me, leaves a little bit to be desired, especially in the way the NFL is played now with so much of it being, you know, you got to get your quarterbacks on the move, doing different things, playing off structure. And he doesn't have elite level arm talent. It's probably just average, but he's a good decision maker, great mental processor, can go through progressions, knows, you know, everything you hear is great work ethic and all that. So I'm sure that's what they fell in love with. And then at 16, the Cardinals select Edge, uh, Zavin Collins, Great size, frame, overall athleticism. Really weird. Like he like checked in recently, like a really high weight. So like almost a weight of like a of like yeah, yeah. Like, a, like an edge rusher. So he's one of those guys that like I labeled him an edge, but he's a edge line outside linebacker. Like to me, I thought he was more of like an off the ball linebacker, like you know, like a Sam or a Will in a three four in a four three scheme. But then he really bulked up. So now I don't know if like. You know, he was told, yeah, we want to make you a 3-4 edge rusher. We think that's where you're best at the next level. Uh, You know, so it's interesting to kind of see what the Cardinals plan. I think that's probably what they're going to use him as. Uh, But maybe he'll be like a hybrid player. But, you know, he's got sideline to sideline range. I like the movement skills, the play strength, great length. Uh, he's got good, he's got bend, you know, and, and a first step that you can use him in that capacity. I, I would say his average pass rush in terms of techniques right now, but it's interesting if the, the weight game was to, to maybe make it more of a permanent switch. Any thoughts there on, you know, from Mika Parsons to Slater, Vera Tucker, Mac Jones, obviously. I know you, you really dug in a lot on him because you thought the 49ers might be going there. And then David Collins. So, you know, just touch Mika Parsons is a great, linebacker. I didn't see that as a huge need for Dallas. I think they kind of just got the, got a guy that they felt could help the defense. Slater was um, just fell into the laps. It's like a perfect fit. I think people were, you know, having the chargers reach for uh, linemen and, and all of a sudden they've rebuilt their line with, I think Slater would be their fourth new starting lineman. So all of a sudden they've just got a stellar brand new shiny offensive line to protect Justin Herbert. I think that's great. Um, for the Jets, I, you know, I think 
it's a good move for Elijah Veritaker. It They've got the draft capital to do it. Um, that's about the range he'd go. Not Nothing I'm like super, um, you know, like ecstatic over, but I think, it, I think it's solid. Um, and then Mac Jones, I, I do want to touch on him because, you know, as a 49ers fan, I was making my piece there and, and I had to really go into trying to understand what was it that teams might see to take him this high? Cause it wasn't just San Francisco and new England, but the bears were rumored to really like, him. um, the Broncos were kind of a fit that people put into as well. And so, you know, we talk about dynamic athletes being the direction that uh, the NFL is going with quarterbacks. You know, I mentioned with my concerns on Zach Wilson, the, you know, at first and fundamentally you have to play in the pocket well. And that's really what I think drove him up draft boards um, was, was his ability to, I, I mean, I, I don't want to compare him to Tom Brady, but that that's the axis of player that you're, you're, you're trying to, to fit Mac Jones on, you know, him to Kirk cousins. Right. And, um, you know, people said Brady wasn't athletic. Right. And, and I think people have come around to think Brady's actually a very athletic quarterback, just with the way that he moves around with his feet within the pocket, avoiding pressure and ability to have a solid base to set off a good throw. Right. And that's really what you're looking at with Mac Jones. Now, Mac Jones will have to become the level processor that a Brady or a Manning is, you know, to really get to that level. And and that's where I, I don't know that anybody, we feel more comfortable projecting around um, athleticism than we do around, you know, um, ability to process the game. And that's at any position, but especially the quarterback. And so I think it's just going to be really fun, really interesting to see. I, I didn't want Mac Jones for the 49ers, but I do want him to succeed because I think it's good for the NFL when different types of players succeed, right? So, you know, being able to have, you know, an intellectual smooth moving in the pocket passer um, will, will be exciting to take reins when, when breeze is gone, rivers is gone, Manning left a while ago, and and Brady's got a couple more years, right? So it will be really nice if somebody's there to fill in the the gap for the next generation. I'll root for him. Yeah, listen, we like, you know, my thoughts on Mac Jones are always where he could be a functional, a good starter. Like, you know, like I just thought the top of the draft was way too rich for him. So I think he went to it a more appropriate landing spot you know i would probably say late round one early round two but you know listen quarterbacks always get pushed up the board you know and you're right like we don't only want one type of quarterback to succeed in the next level because then like you're really hamstringing because that those guys aren't always going to be available right so you want other potential guys to be able to be good players or very good players so you know we'll see mac jones from what you hear about him and listen, Matt Wallman, you know, who does as good of a job scouting, you know, the college prospects as anybody, you know, he had him as number three in this draft class. So he, you know, you know, he has his process. He put him for his process and he really liked him. So, you know, he, he didn't like Zach Wilson at all. You know, he, you know, he had Trey Lance too. He, he had Mac Jones ahead of Justin Fields. And, and for some people that seems lunacy, but for a man who does as much work as he does, you know, he saw a lot to like about 
about Mac Jones's game and I respect his opinion. So, you know, there are people who really do like the components of Mac Jones's game. So I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that one plays itself out. So well, to, be fair, yeah. to be fair to Matt, um, heard a lot about him talk about these guys the last week too. Again, just diving into every quarterback piece of information I get. And I think, I, I think he's able to see, and, and he feels a little bit different about projecting growth um, based on the types of, of detailed scouting that he gets into. Um, and he just sees different, different archetypes, different paths for Jones and, and fields. Like I think he's, he would actually say that he sees fields having a greater upside than Mac Jones. Yeah. You know, I think that's something sure. that he's put out there. Um, and it, yeah, I, I think it just depends on where there are. Um, and then just one touch on Zayvon Collins too. So sure. they used Isaiah Simmons in a really interested hybrid role. You know, I thought he would be a very um, kind of like how the Panthers use Jeremy Chin in, in sort of that, box but slot slash linebacker slash sort of like heavy nickel personnel kind of thing and and they actually used him a lot into uh, um a bit of a pass rush role as well and so i think what this will do is help isaiah simmons be more of the dynamic athlete kind of in the middle of the field and and give a another hybrid piece for them to work with in a linebacker slash pass rusher with Zayvon Collins. Now, I don't think he's TJ Watt, but if that's the type of role that you see them using him in as, as just sort of a, a linebacker who can chase everything down, but disrupt the passer as well. And so I think it'll be interesting to see. It, it's, it's really interesting to see um, the defensive schemes getting so multiple and so dynamic. You know, I think I, I kind of sent you a message. I don't know that three, four or four, three actually makes a lot of sense as a designation now when, you know, in, most, if you were actually to chart all of these defenses, I don't think anybody runs a four three or three four even more than forty percent of the time because it's there's so many varied schemes that they make. So this will be really exciting to see the different looks that this allows the Cardinals to do. And it was one of the least kept secrets. I think Zayvon Collins, you know, was was one that I heard all week this week, and and sort of was that slam dunk pick that I think a lot of people were able to call. Yeah, I mean, it's all about the hybrids now, right? And you said everyone plays sub packages. You're really, teams are really looking for guys who are, who are hybrid to play in any scheme, right? And those base designations are a little bit more of the old guard, right? But you said there, it's less than 50% now. It's, it could be less than 40% times. So, so we still use them and reference them in a lot of scouting reports you see still mm-hmm. acknowledge them. But at the same time, they really are how they're going to schematically use these guys really is how it factors in. And he's a guy who does have a lot of versatility, could be a hybrid player, do a lot of different things. So he's going to add a lot to that defense there. You know, I like the pick for, for what they wanted to get there. At 17, the Raiders make a little bit of a surprise and take a tackle, but not the tackle I expected them to. You know, I think there was a couple other guys there that were that were – thought of a little bit more highly regarded, not a lot, but a little bit more that you saw as locked first round guys. Instead, they take offensive tackle from Alabama, Alex Leatherwood, great size, good frame, above average to good athleticism, especially at a size and frame. Uh, great length, average to above average play strength, can be effective in gap or zone run schemes. I think he's versatile to play and start at either guard or tackle. At 18, the Dolphins, select edge rusher Jalen Phillips. This guy's this guy's so unique because if he 
didn't have the medical con- concerns, if there was no concerns about his love of football, this would have been the guy that would have been a top six to 10 pick as a traditional top tier edge rusher. I think that's his kind of upside. But the other surrounding things that I just talked about uh, dropped him down a little bit. But the size and frame is ideal. Good to very good athleticism and movement skills. Very good bend, burst, and quickness and first step explosiveness off the edge. Play strength and run support is probably about average, but he's got great length. Whether you whether it's hybrid four three three four, he's an edge rusher and, and probably one of the best pure rushers in this draft class. So Dolphins take the gamble on him to add a big time uh, rusher there. At nineteen, the Redskins select linebacker uh, Jamin Davis, good size and frame, uh, very good athleticism, movement skills, silent style. And this is a guy who is rising in his process. People love his closing burst, his good play strength. He's a free down inside linebacker, regardless of the scheme. I love his play recognition and instincts. And then at pick 20, the Giants were on the clock after that trade back. And I, I, everybody thought they were going edge there. Everyone thought they were going Queedy Pay. Uh, I guess some people might have still thought, you know, Ojulari, but it sounds like Ojulari has a little bit of a medical thing, and that's why he dropped that around one. I'm kind of hoping the Giants maybe look to get him early in the second. But they take wide receiver Kadarius Tony out of Florida. Very good to great athleticism, explosiveness, suddenness, movement skills, speed burst, that stop-start acceleration. His calling card is his yak ability, his change of direction, agility, and elusiveness. But he's got good contact balance. He looks like a running back at times. You know, to me, he's a starting vertical slot wide receiver that can also be used in space and manufactured touchers and returner. To me... What it says, he's like part Debo Samuel, part Percy Harvin. He comped himself, and I know Dan Schneider, who I I respect his work tremendously, he said the comp that he used is like an Alvin Kamara-type offensive playmaker. That's what, you know, in terms of the versatility. So I think people, yes, there were better natural receivers on the board. I don't think the Giants would even deny that. Rashad Bateman, uh, Elijah Moore. I thought this team, and it's why I wanted Jalen Waddle more than Devonta Smith by a little bit, because I thought they were missing one thing on the offense to round out the offensive core. And it was a versatile playmaking home run threat that wasn't named Saquon Barkley. You needed more than just one, especially with Barkley coming off his injury. You needed it in the receiving core. And that's what Kadarius Tony is. So I think that's why he was the, the pick there over a guy like Elijah Moore, who's the better pure route runner, crisper, cleaner, the better pure wide receiver, which makes me ask the question. I think I finally got my answer on the Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith issue of if they were both there, who the Giants would have picked. I think the Tony pick makes me think that they were looking for the explosive home run threat. And not that Devonta Smith can't be, but it's different levels between Devonta and Jalen Waddle. And Kadarius Tony's more than Devonta, less than Jalen, but not that far from Jalen. I think it lets it leads me to believe that I think the Giants might have preferred Waddle more than Devonta, which is why I think it opens up the question, would they have ran to the podium Devonta Smith's the pick? Or would they have been intrigued with the trade getting that 2022 first and the other draft compensation, if they really had a high grade on Tony as the as the backup or alternative to to Jalen Waddle, if they lost out on him, 
I think they would have taken Devonta Smith. I'm not saying they would have taken Jalen uh, Kadarius Tony over Devonta Smith under any circumstance, but how big was the gap in terms of what they viewed they needed and wanted that would they have passed up that trade package from Chicago? I think it's a fascinating talking point and, and, and maybe I'm overlooking it in terms of this meaning that because they took Tony over, you know, Elijah Moore, they would have taken Waddle over Smith. It's just me trying to put the pieces together. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love. I already talked to how much I love um, Devontae Smith and and my excitement for the dynamic playmaker Waddle would be. So I think you're you're kind of spot on as to where their preference may have been. I, I think it would have been really hard to pass if, if they were really targeting wide receiver. Like I know the future draft capital is good, but it, I think there's just a big, to me, there's a big difference between Devonte Smith and, and Kadarius Tony. And this oh, is and I agree with Tony, that but I, I, I would have run to the podium to get Smith, even though the fit itself of maybe what they were looking for might not have been exactly what they, you know, what they were hoping to get. But, but again, like I said, you know, there's these, you know, we look up and down the draft and, and you see, picks based on you know fit into the the team right and um and so i think you kind of keyed in on that there and and coming from you know a san francisco where we have debo samuel and we have kyle Yuschek and and we have all these guys running all over the place um that's where i think if if that's the element that they get from Kadarius tony i think that that's going to be pretty exciting i with the way they misused Evan Ingram, I'm a little skeptical that that it's going to end. It's going to be the way that we would hope. Um, I really do. I, I I hope that it gets there. I really do. I just I guess I'm a little bit um, that the way that they misused Evan Ingram just gives me a, just like a pain in the heart <laughs> when it comes to my hope for how they use playmakers like Tony. That's yeah, my I, one concern. I, and I think it's a very valid concern, right? It was even a valid concern if they drafted, you know, Kyle Pitts in a different capacity, right? Mm-hmm. So so I think a lot's going to be on Jason Garrett this year. And I think he's going to have a very short leash. I, I truly do. I think it's Joe Judge's team now. He wasn't afraid to fire the offensive line coach, even as they started playing better to somebody else. He's made a lot of changes. He's brought a lot of college guys into the Giants organization to be coaches. So I, I think he's looking to modernize it more. And and I wonder if part of it's the lack of involvement last year with Evan Ingram. And now they draft a guy like Kadarius Tony who you better have a plan for, right? If you don't have a plan for it, this is going to blow up in your face. And then you just wasted, you know, pick a 20 where, yeah, then at that point, you know, taking Quiddy Pay or another edge player would have been the right play. So I, I'm going to give Joe Judge and the new regime a little bit more leeway and say, okay, they went out and got Kenny Galladay. I think they looked at this as this was the final piece they needed. Now it's on Jason Garrett to put it together. And if he can't get the job done, I think – I wouldn't be surprised if Judge hits the college uh, landscape to bring his next offensive coordinator there, a guy who just does a lot of collegiate things. I wouldn't even be surprised if he looks at Alabama, who you know their you know offensive coordinator or passing game coordinator. I wouldn't be surprised down the line if, if that's where we go because now there's no more excuses for Daniel Jones, right? Whatever we want to think about Kadarius Tony, even if you say he's part Percy Harvin, part Debo Samuel, he's still a playmaker. He's still got big time game breaking speed. You add him to Kenny Galladay to, to 
Shepard to Slayton, return of Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram's still there, a, a good number two tight end in Kyle Rudolph. Now's the time, right? He's got to show growth this year. And, you know, Tony gives that weapon. And listen, I don't know if Tony's going to be like this great guy who puts up gaudy stats, but he might be a guy that, that really, you know, changes the way defenses have to play them and, and could be a guy that brings a lot of tactical value on top of the playmaking ability. The concern that you had is very valid because as Giants, as a Giants fan myself and many Giants fans know, there have been times that they haven't maximized the skill set of certain individuals, Evan Ingram at the forefront, but there's other guys too that, that they never really maximized it. So I think that's the one thing that, that I'll be looking for, but I applaud them in terms of not just sitting at a, at, at the, at 11 after they got sniped from Devonta Smith and just take a player because we'd be at, I'd be in a very different mood tonight with you doing this podcast if it was just Queedy Pay at 11 and that was yeah. it. So if you're telling me the excitement level of the possibilities that Tony brings to the table in terms of his playmaking and explosiveness, and you tell me a one, a four, and a five on top of that, and a team that the Bears is not that good that we could be talking about the Giants next year having their own pick and a pick in the top 10 or top 12, I think the Giants saved their night and 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 had a good night for themselves after getting sniped from Devonta Smith, uh, which was shouldn't have been that much of a surprise, right? The Eagles needed a receiver, Giants needed a receiver in my mm-hmm. eyes, and they, you know, the Eagles made the move to go up there. I'm sure the Giants could have flip flopped with the Cowboys, and they chose not to do that, right? I'm sure I, maybe they had a conversation and and they didn't want to give up a third round pick to move up one spot. You know, th- those are the things that we don't really know. They don't have a lot of picks this year. Uh, so yeah, so so it's gonna be interesting to kind of kind of see. It was that. a good recovery. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. it was a good recovery, and and you know I think you know like I said that the the next year's draft capital is nice, but um, when you talk about the questions around Daniel Jones and the fact that you might need that draft capital next year to replace him, that's that's really important. Um, and and I guess just the one other piece in there for no excuses for Daniel Jones, their offensive line started out pretty horrendous and they really made strides uh, as that year went on. So um, I, I do think that there's areas you can improve on that, but um, so I'll see what they do later, like, you know, further on this, this off season for that. But um, I, I like the way their offensive line gelled as well. And so I think, you know, you could see a pretty exciting offense in New York. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if in round two or three, they, they try to upgrade the offensive line a little bit. I, I keep coming back to, if they like an edge guy in round two, I think he's the pick. But if they don't like an edge guy, I, I'm intrigued if, again, it's a major medical concern. But if the medicals on Landon Dickerson checked out, he is, he's a guy who would have been a top 15, top 20 type pick. You know, he comes from Alabama. Joe Judge has that connection with Saban. You know, Dickerson is a big, big time offensive line prospect. They can play center or guard. He's a guy to keep on the on your radar for the Giants tomorrow if they don't go edge. But if they do go edge tomorrow, I still think there's some really good players in round three or round four who Wyatt Davis at Ohio State, I think he's an excellent player. And and mm-hmm. there's talk that he might fall around four now. You know, mm-hmm. so so there's guys I think can even add to that uh offensive line. I think they wanted to roll with 
with Andrew Thomas and Matt Peart at the tackles with Nate Solder as the swing tackle for this year. So I never really thought that they were all in. Like if, if, if Panay Sewell mm-hmm. fell, that would have been a different story. But I don't know if they were ever all in on Slater because they had mm-hmm. their opportunity, right? And they chose to make the trade down. So obviously they like Slater, but they didn't have this massive grade on him uh, that they were unwilling to trade down. We will assume that they did have that massive grade on Devonta Smith, but but we're assuming a little bit. But 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 I yeah. think you're probably it right could have been Waddle, and it could have been Waddle, and they knew they were going to trade down no matter what. You yeah, know? if they wanted a specific type, and it was in that Waddle Tony, you know, you know, you know, schematic usage and 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 fit. Maybe they made the decision that if Waddle's not there, we're trading back. If if we could get a good offer that we like, and and we'll take Tony because we know Tony will probably be there a little bit later in round one. You know, we don't know that. I think the pick would have been Devonta Smith. All the tea leaves were that they absolutely loved him too. Uh, so we'll never truly know. They might put something out there, but it's probably just you know PR narrative. So I wouldn't put I wouldn't put too much into it. So let, let's go here. Let's do a little rapid fire to 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 end this. The Colts at twenty one take you know the guy we were talking about, edge rusher. Quidi Pay, who the Giants passed on. Very good frame, good to great athleticism, burst, movement. I like his explosiveness. Good bend and first step, great play strength. To me, he can play four three defensive end. He can kick inside in sub packages. I thought like a little bit more athletic of like a Justin Tuck. So I thought the Giants were looking for more of a traditional stand-up edge rusher. I'm not sure that's Quidi Pay. So I think that's why maybe they weren't as high on him as what was out there in, in the media in terms of their interest level in him. Uh, the Titans put, take the risk and take cornerback Caleb Farley. Great size and frame, great length, very good to great athleticism and movement skills. Uh, he's willing to help out and run support. He's got press cover skills. I mean, once upon a time, it was like him and Sertan were one, two, and then Horn jumped up there and Farley dropped back a little bit because of the injury. Uh, but Farley is as talented as those two guys. So it t- could be a big time pick there for the Titans, replacing Adoree Jackson with Caleb Farley. The Vikings take offensive tackle Christian Darashore. Great size, good frame. Uh, Good athleticism, lateral quickness, agility, footwork. I like his recoverability due to his natural, you know, athleticism. I like his play strength and upside to be a franchise left tackle. I think in just about any scheme that you want to run in terms of running. Then we had a, a little running back run here. The Steelers make them one of the other more non very obvious picks. Najee Harris, he's my favorite back in the class. Three down potential, the power, the physicality, the contact balance. I think he's got above average to good athleticism for his size. Uh, I like the the lateral quickness and the burst that he offers. And then the Jaguars at 25 select running back Travis Etienne to pair with his former quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, the explosion. I, I compared him to part Dalvin Cook, part CJ Spiller, part Garrison Hurst, who were comps that I've heard and really liked. Uh, that stop start acceleration, the burst, big playability. And now he's going to be in that backfield with his former college quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. Really excited to see that. I've been, I was telling people the entire season to sell, sell, sell on James Robinson that he didn't have the draft capital and draft capital is king and that he wasn't, he was an average guy just getting a heavy workload and that they were going to upgrade. And now they have. So, you know, Ethan's going to be a big time 
weapon there for Trevor Lawrence. I probably would have went to a different position, the one that had a little bit more positional, you know, value than running back there. Maybe we would have taken a running back a little bit later in the draft, but I get it. I really like the player there. So any, any thoughts on Ethan or Najee Harris or, or, or pay or any of the other couple of guys there that I talked about quick. Yeah. I, you and I, I think spoke again last, uh, Last, last at the beginning, uh, last and last summer, uh, when James Robinson was was all the rage that there's an anomaly, and and if you could get your first round rookie pick in return for selling him, that that was the right move. And I'm not, I don't necessarily know that that was the right move for Jacksonville to to pull in a guy on the level of Travis Etienne. I think bringing him in with uh, Trevor Lawrence makes for an explosive offense. Um, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, the coach might say one thing about we want to build our running room around James Robinson, who had a phenomenal year. And uh, and then they come around and they see the shiny new toy and, and they invest in that too. Um, so that one's a tough pill to swallow for for all the James Robinson folk, um, you know, who are really rooting for him to kind of keep on his run. Um, and then Najee Harris is just my favorite back of the draft. I think I, I spoke highly of him last time around. Just love his ability, just not just behind the line of scrimmage, but out there running routes too. So a um, little bit of a concern behind the Pittsburgh offensive line. So he's got some work cut out for him, but I, I think he can succeed pretty much wherever he goes. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, I'm he he grew on me to leapfrog Travis Etienne as the year went on just because I thought he was the more complete back. And to me, when you're really trying to narrow the difference between two really great running backs, I'm looking for the guy who's the more complete back in terms of the ability to play in all three downs. I do share your concerns, though, about, you know, the offensive line there. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see, you know, does that hinder him early on here? And, you know, they do got to invest in, and fix that. If we keep this going, the Browns select the cornerback Gregory Newsom the second with pick twenty six. Good size, average frame, above average to good athleticism, uh, good length, good footwork, good cover and ball skills, above average play strength. Uh, to me, immediate starter there. You know they they've invested a lot in the secondary over the last couple of years. Newsom just continues to add it. The Ravens get a wide receiver. That was not a surprise. We knew they were targeting one. They take wide receiver Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. To me, I thought he was going to end up falling further. I'm glad he didn't. I thought he warranted going here. He's got inside-outside versatility. He can high-point the ball. He's good after the catch. I love his ball skills, his play strength, his body control. He's got above-average athleticism and long speed. But to me, his play speed and his movement skills are better than even his athleticism and long speed might indicate. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good weapon there. I don't know if I love it for fantasy because it's it's Baltimore, right? So I, I don't think that. But in terms of adding a, a playmaker and another receiver that they needed, I think he fits and complements what they had there in Marquise Brown, which was the home run threat. I think they needed a guy who can win – you know, on the short to intermediate, but also occasionally vertically. And I think that's Bateman is really going to live in that short to intermediate parts of the field. So that, that was a really good pick. At 28, the Saints take edge rusher Peyton Turner. He's a guy who was rising all throughout the day today that uh, it could be a surprise first-round pick. He To me, he's a prototypical 
starting defensive end if you have four men, you know, on the line of scrimmage, which New Orleans does. I think he can even kick inside a little bit in sub packages. If they want to go for three, four looks, I think he can beat a five tech. I think he can hold up and run support because he's got really good play strength and toughness. Uh, but he's got good pass rush skills too. First step off, uh, first step and bend off of the edge. Packers at 29 take Eric Stokes. Uh, really speedy cornerback out of Georgia as well. So two cornerbacks there going uh, off the board pretty uh, close to each other. I think it was really a pick your poison and what you're looking for, right? Some people uh, preferred one thing over the other. Uh, you know, with Stokes, it's all about that that speed and athleticism, can play, can play press coverage, versatile start inside in the, the nickelback or on the outside. Pick 30 to build select Gregory or so. A lot of talk that he was going to fall out of round one, but he's got great size. His, his one year of production was absolutely fantastic. Double digit sacks, good athleticism, movement skills, agility and burst off the end. I think some people were concerned about the one year of production and then sitting out this year. A lot of his sacks uh, came when he was lined up as the defensive tackle. So I thought some people had question marks and I had some question marks about him coming off the edge. Originally, he was in that like 10 to 15 mix. Once upon a time, people thought the Giants could be looking at him at 11. But I think this was more appropriate for his upside that he brings, but also some risk involved as well. At pick 31, the Ravens then selected Edge Jason Owa out of Penn State. This guy is all about his up, upside and athletic uh, athleticism. Zero sacks last year, but everyone loves this kid. The bend, the explosiveness off the edge, the first step, the play strength, total package. Ravens are going to try to you know, have him as beat it when in every four outside pass rushing linebackers due to the athleticism and upside. And then another edge rusher to end the night, the Bucks selected Joe Tryon out of Washington. Really good size, good to very good frame, the athleticism, movement skills. He's got bend off the edge. Uh, he can average play strength, average to above average. He can set the edge. He can help out and run support, but I like his length. He even has got some cover skills too. So he's a guy who is ideal for what we were talking about before being a hybrid player, right? He's got to be able to cover a little bit, put his hand on the dirt, maybe for a four, three team if, if they want in sub packages, but probably best suited to be a three, four outside pass rushing linebacker. Thought there, Jeff, to, to close out the night. Yeah, maybe we've got one offensive player, so we'll start there. And um, I actually really like what the Ravens did with both these picks. Um, Bateman, we talked about the exciting um, athlete that Waddle could be. You know, we talked about uh, Kadarius Tony and the dynamism he brings. I, th- I think Bateman's going to be just a different mold. He's a ta- uh, he's a tactician, right? He's um, you know, where I think Kadarius Tony can can learn a little bit better how to tell a story within his roots. That's something that Bateman, I think, does really well. Um, and his ability to attack the ball, give open windows um, to throw to. I think it'll be a pretty good fit with Lamar. Um, we'll, we'll definitely kind of see how they implement him into the system. Um, they need... I think they need somebody there. Um, I do like the other pieces that they have around them, Devin Duvernay and and Miles Boykin, but I think Rashad Bateman's going to bring a higher level of consistency um, to that receiving core. Um, and then just like I said, I, I like what um, the Ravens did with both their picks. I think Oway, he didn't have sacks, but he was a major disruptor. 
And, and they really needed that type of player coming off the edge. And so both of those picks, I think, you know, were great for Baltimore. And I think just in general, this is where you saw a lot of defensive playmakers. I think cornerback and edge are, you know, really valuable positions. Um, and so seeing them uh, go kind of there at the end of round one, I think I was expecting to see a lot of early round two here, maybe a few more receivers come into this um this slot of picks, I think the one that really shocks people are uh, uh, the Eric Stokes from Green Bay. I think people really wanted to see uh, Elijah Moore was like one of those perfect fits that everybody wanted to see. And I mean, look, I, the news shook up today with Aaron Rodgers being unhappy. And I, I don't know that picking Elijah Moore would suddenly suddenly make him happy. You know, and I think picking Eric Stokes for the for that defense makes them a much better team. So I really like what they did. I think it's a great pick. And they are gonna have to figure out a way to make, you know, Rogers a little bit come back into the fold. I, I don't know how they're gonna do that. They're not gonna do that with picking a guy in the draft. Um, I do think they'll have to address it, but there's gonna be some really good players on day two and even early day three that they can get to fill out that offense. Yeah, I agree with you. And you're right. Listen, that was the thing that maybe they would draft a wide receiver. Listen, Aaron Rodgers is not going to be content just because you draft him a wide receiver at the end of round one, right? Whatever the issues are there, it's not like a wide receiver from Ole Miss is going to dramatically alter the landscape. If they knew that Aaron Rodgers would be totally content and be there tomorrow, you know, for, you know, mini camps and stuff like that, they would have ran to the podium, taken Elijah Moore and been done with it. If that would have meant that that was, you know, all they had to do to appease Aaron Rodgers. So I think you're right. I'm interested to see where they go on day two because there are receivers that can be really useful players for Green Bay, and there's going to be really good ones still available, you know, in round two and then even round three. So I'm interested to kind of see what Green Bay does. Do they add some other playmakers? Because I do think they still need some, right? Like we talked before, like Atlanta has three, and the Giants keep adding to it, and you never could have enough playmakers. And then in Green Bay, it's like they got Devontae Adams, and then that's it, right? And they continue to not really – put any other resources into that position there. So it'd be interesting to kind of see what they do the rest of the draft. If they finally add some other playmakers around Devonte Adams and assuming that Aaron Rodgers eventually is, to, is a quarterback there. So Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. This was an absolute blast. Please let the audience know where they can find you and any other closing or parting shots about round one now in the books of the 2021 NFL draft. First, um, the, what, what you guys do with these draft projection notebooks, you know, it's, it's the best way to, to follow the draft. I think, what did you get? You guys had to what? 20, 26 picks somewhere yeah this year was 25 Um, and 32 in round one uh but but what we also i what i also really like to do is i i I have the section of just miss just to kind of like give people the idea of who could be in the mix and the other seven players were all in that other 16 or names or so that are that are right below the projections just to this the, the other 16 guys right like today there were parts today that i had travis Etienne and Kadarius tony in my round in in the projection they moved and just went to the just missed below cut line right so like we try to we try to 
put out there what, how we think it's going to come. Uh, the one big one, and I'm going to butcher his name. So if you if you know it, I'll, I'll I'll let you take it over. But I think the biggest surprise, not two biggest surprises, is uh, Tevin Jenkins, the offensive tackle, not going, and then the linebacker out of Notre Dame. Do you know the pronunciation on that or not? Jeremiah Awusu Koromoa. I yes. believe is, is uh and and yeah so I talk about versatile defenders right um and so we talk about Zayvon Collins coming in as as a, as a big for the linebacker right 270 uh Owusu Koromaro comes in small and um one of my favorite um defensive players I I'm actually I love IDP leagues as well so I get I get into this one of my favorite defensive players last year was actually Jeremy Chin and and the way that the Carolina Panthers deployed Jeremy Chin all over the fill field, like I said, like kind of that heavy nickel, making sure he's in there, you know, tackling like a linebacker, but out there, um, you know, with with his coverage skills, that's something that um, I, I, he's abbreviated JOK. So <laughs> that, that's something that Owusu Kuromoa could could do um, for a team, and I think he's probably with him and and probably Elijah Moore might be like, you know, my favorite left on the board um, that I, I think they, you won't wait long to see them go somewhere. Teams are going to kind of go up and attack to go get them. Um, so, so that's going to be kind of fun to watch. Um, I, I think there's going to be one of the other thoughts for, for day two, we talked about the Packers, Terrace Marshall Jr. Um, I, I, I think I heard something about some injury concerns. And so he might be falling. And if he falls to the Packers, no one's going to be upset that they passed over Elijah Moore, especially if those injuries end up checking out by the by the beginning of the season. So yeah, I love I love Terrace Marshall. I think he is on the Kenny Galladay to Allen Robinson spectrum in terms of style of play. I honestly, I think he's one of the besides Jamar Chase, but he's got so much versatility to do to play any of the positions. I honestly think he might be the best true outside X wide receiver in the class, right? Everybody else is kind of like, you know, none, no one else really in this class besides Jamar Chase is like that prototype traditional X wide receiver, right? Devonta Smith, you're going to do a lot of different things. He's going to, you know, same thing with Jalen Waddle. Obviously, Tony, we already talked about. Elijah Moore is going to be a slot guy. So Marshall is a really interesting, and some people I know like Nico Collins, I'm not as high on him, but there's a couple guys on day two are, who are more of those prototype X receivers on the outside. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see where they go. But I, I kind of jumped in and cut you off before you, well, you were, you were giving some final parting that shots. Was, that was basically it. I was going to kind of let you guys know where to find me, but I, I'd much rather Terrace Marshall over Seth Williams, <laughs> you know? Oh um, yeah. But I think Seth Williams is falling to day three. Yeah. But, but I mean, that's, there, there's us, this is an amazing, like very, there's a lot of different types of slot receivers, whether you're talking big slot, you know, electric deep vertical slots, sort of twitchy line of scrimmage slots and and sort of, I want to say gadget players that, that comes with a negative connotation, but um, you know, so many diverse uh, dynamic tools kind of for the inside, but no, no really outside wide receivers. So that's where I think Terrace Marshall could be a, a really good steal. Um but yeah, so I'm I'm excited to see where that all goes. Uh, just as far as where you can find me um, right now uh, on Twitter, I'm at the Sofa Scout. Um, I'm sitting here um, working on just finalizing my own notes in my own notebook, 
And I think what I'll try to do is is release a few tidbits out. I'm not sure of the, the right format, whether that'll just be a Twitter thread, little blurbs, whether I'll actually put something out there for people to to probably just download and see where my thoughts are. I really like not just it, it's important for me to kind of see who these players are before they get into the draft. But I think some of the most valuable information is how these players fit into into uh, the, the place into the teams that they get to and how they probably will be used because, you know, they can still, they could be great players and they might not impact your fantasy teams really well. Um, and so that's where I really want to key in on is, is not just uh, how they win, but um, if, if the way that they win will mesh really well with either the philosophy or the personnel around them. I think Nikhil Harry is like one of the the prime examples I go to a guy I really liked but um, I didn't love him because he was a very uh, he, he was a very kind of vertical, like single skilled athlete. And and when he went to New England, I think it was all over for me. I just there, there was no way that I could see that meshing and working. And I still don't. Um, even with Mac Jones, I could just I you know I think that I heard some trade rumors. We'll see where he goes. Um, but but yeah, so that's the insights I want to be able to give people is is this could be a great player and it cannot be a great fit. And that can just, you know, unfortunately ruin a kid's career. And, and that's too sad to say, but um, uh, hopefully I see, hopefully they have a chance somewhere else. Um, I'll be looking for the fits and I'll be looking to try to make those matches and give you guys those insights. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I look forward to it. I think it's so important that, we look at the the landing spots after the draft and we try to see schematically how these guys fit and are they with the the right team and the right coaches and the right landing spot to really maybe maximize their skill set. I think it seems like such a common thing that these coaches and these teams would have plans for everybody and know how to maximize skill sets. And sometimes they don't. And that's something that, you know, one of the, one of the things I liked most about Joe Judge in his introductory press conference was he talked about, don't tell me what a player can't do. Tell me what he can do and let's build around that. And, and there were some things, especially on some of the defensive side of the, of the, the ball last year that I thought they did a good job with that, right? Evan Ingram still the, the great mystery and I still think he's going to shine somewhere else, but maybe some of it's on him too, right? Because it's been enough regimes now that have, that have coached Evan Ingram from Pat Sherman to Ben McAdoo to, to now the Joe Judge with, with Jason Garrett at OC that it just, he hasn't lived up to that upside of potential. And I don't quit him and I can't quit him and I don't want them to give him away. But I do wonder if, if part of them not maximizing him or using him right is something also with him. So that's why I'm, I'm giving them a little bit of hope that, that, that Kadarius Tony, they have a role for and a plan, especially since it's something that Judge harps so much on. So, Jeff, absolutely enjoyed having you here with me, breaking down everything from night one of the NFL draft. Uh, I know I'll be talking to you a lot tomorrow on Twitter and stuff like that. Just, you know, sharing our thoughts and, and I do greatly appreciated it. So on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>